Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Migration and Diaspora podcast with me, your host, Loxanne Harley. Today I have Amanda Azali on the show to talk about Children on the Move. Amanda is the Children on the Move regional advisor for Western Central Africa at Save the Children International. So she's really the person to talk to on the topic. Now a few words about Amanda. She first studied pedagogy with a specialization in the Reggio Emilia approach, which is a specific child-centered rights-based approach to education, which I recommend Googling, before going on to study international relations and international development. She then worked as part of a number of humanitarian crisis responses in the Middle East, in Darfur, Uganda, in the Sahel, while also working in academia. She is now based in Dakar, Senegal, and has been since 2009. As keen listeners of the podcast know, I've been trying my hardest to get a diversity of guests on the show to discuss a diversity of topics. So this is the first episode on Children on the Move, and a first that focuses on West and Central Africa as well, a region that I know very well. There are some linkages with episode three on trafficking in persons, so feel free to give that a listen too. For this episode, Amanda and I discuss a range of aspects related to child migration in Western Central Africa, including the context of mixed migration flows against which the child migration takes place, as well as why children move, how they move, the risks that they are exposed to, the impact of COVID-19, and how to provide protection, including what Save the Children are doing. And of course, we also touch on Amanda's own fascinating migration story, from her Italian Mozambique background to her migration experiences across Europe and Africa, which have no doubt informed her understanding of migration. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Amanda, welcome to the show. <laughs> How are you doing? Thank you. I'm, I'm very well. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm fine as well. I am in England, and it is raining outside, as, as can be expected. Uh, just just after a week of really beautiful weather, actually. So beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a bit of a shame, but we enjoyed the really good weather, so we have to have a bit of rain. And we're also, you know, many regions in the world, you don't get enough rain, so we're quite <laughs> we're quite lucky in that respect in the UK. Yes, just like mine, Western Central Africa. Exactly. Uh, where are you joining us from? So I'm currently in Italy, but uh, I'm normally based in Dakar in Senegal. Okay, which is a lovely city, one of my favorite cities of the world. Yeah. And of course, we, we met there. Yeah, we met there. And I was very, I've, I've been very fortunate to have visited Dakar on many occasions. And hopefully I'll get to live there at some point in my life. It's I'm my fingers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm curious about, I wanted to start by asking you about your own migration and diaspora story you know you just said you're based in Italy and you're living but you're living in Dakar and I know you've lived in a number of countries as well especially across Africa and Europe and I'm just curious what's what's the story it's true so um, I'm, I'm half Italian and half Mozambican was born and lived in in Italy um, and so Italian is my mother language but I'm also a proud daughter of, of Africa and, and of Mozambique. Um, I lived, yeah, I lived in a number of, I'm a quite a girl on the move. Um, I am um, 
have been working in 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 um, Middle East and uh, and Europe and um, and as you said, I've been um, I've been doing quite a lot of humanitarian work um, in Great Lakes um, and Darfur and north of Uganda before landing in in Dakar and before that. I lived also a little bit in, in the United States for, for studies. Oh, wow. So I really consider myself a third uh, culture kid. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, to raise also a family of, uh, you know, little children on the move. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. And just quickly, I mean, out of all those places you've lived, what has been your favorite place? <gasps> This is such a hard question. Um, oh my gosh, I, I, I don't think I can, um, I don't think I can make a choice. I think that every place I lived in has left something in, in me. Um, so I, you know, I'm thinking about, as we said, the sunsets and, and the oceans and the beaches of Dakar, but also the sweetest, the sweetness of, of you know people from Mozambique and um, and Burkina Faso, uh, uh, the warmth of uh, people in in Uganda and um, the culture and you know and the history of of you know and the pride of of Italians of of their arts. It's it's really it's really very very difficult for me to. Uh, uh to choose um i also really like the um um geneva a lot and i would say that this is one of their uh ideal places for for me to live but ideally it would be a caribbean country okay <laughs> <laughs> well that, that that was an interesting couple of points at at, at the end uh, i would have thought geneva would be the the opposite of Dakar in many ways. And, uh, but I think that you, you've put it in a lovely way because that's also how I usually respond when people ask wh where has been my favorite place because every place I've lived in has, has something special about it. So, and that's the beautiful thing about uh, our migrant lives and getting that opportunity to, to, to visit and live in different places. It, it, it allows you to appreciate a lot of different aspects of different places. And I'm very glad that Burkina Faso gets a mention as well, because uh, I don't know if I mentioned to you, but Burkina Faso, I lived in Burkina Faso. It was the first place in Africa that I lived in. And it's, it's, it's in Montpellier de Coeur. It's, it's really close to my heart. And uh, yeah, glad it gets a mention. Anyway, um, so moving on to Save the Children. Many people have heard of Save the Children, very famous charity, started in the UK and has, of course, many chapters around the world. Many people know Save the Children, but perhaps are not familiar with its role with regard to migration. So I was wondering if you could explain to us a little bit what Save the Children does with respect to migration. Yes, um, so um, when, um, when people, uh, and thank you very much for, for this question, because um, I think that um, it, it is embedded in our organizational culture. Um, the issue of migration and displacement. Uh, Save the Children was founded back in 1919 um, in a um, context 
that um, pretty much reminds me of Western Central Africa today. Um, so um, we had population having to deal with huge effects and, and consequences from, from a devastating war. Uh, we had already winds of nationalism, um, you know, sweeping Europe. We had a huge and major economic crisis um, in many uh, parts of, of Europe and especially um, in the states that, you know, lost the First World War. Uh, we also had a pandemic uh, that was, you know, devastating as well. And uh, our, um, our founder, Eglantin Jab, decided to uh, serve uh, the most um, vulnerable and, and, and children that were in danger. Um, and she chose the ones that for, you know, whatever reason were, were abandoned. You know, they were, they were out on the streets, they were in, in orphanages, they, they were separated for, for, from their families. They had their parents and families, you know, uh, lost in, during the war. Uh, or they had to separate, they, they had to be separated because, you know, the economic uh, realities of, of the times. Um, and this is how it started. It started with, you know, um, our founder sensitizing and raising the awareness of, of her own community that was Britain, that was London, uh, about the suffering of children and trying to uh, raise money and uh, send goods um, to, to them. So I really think that um, migrants and displaced children are really at the core of uh, what we have always been and uh, what we has always tried to, um, uh, to target and to reach out to. Um, of course, now uh, things have evolved and uh, we have become um, uh, a, global, a global organization, um, but still we have that uh, special connection and special focus on, uh, on, 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 on children on the move. Uh, we have a unit that is called the Migration and Displacement Initiative that sort of oversees um, our strategic direction and uh, uh, provides support and uh, fits into the different conversations that might uh, be of have an impact um, on, on, on children on the move internally and externally. Um, we have three breakthroughs that is uh, a little bit of, of how our vision is articulated that is around the survival of children, the protection of children and um, the education of children. And, and, and so we try to find ways on how, you know, our health and nutrition programs and our education, including early childhood education programs and of course our protection programs um, are relevant for, for children on the move uh, worldwide. Um, then in um, more concrete terms, we have, I would say, two um, uh, axes of, of work. One is, is more around um, 
advocacy and making sure that the rights of uh, children on the move are forefront in uh, national and, uh, and regional and global conversations uh, on governance and, and, and you know, rights. Um, but also we have another axis that is much more concrete and it's about, you know, finding durable solutions for, for children and, um, you know, investigating innovative, uh, innovative approaches um, to reach out to children, to be relevant to children, to have children talking to us, to, you know, to understand how, um, you know, uh, how we can, what is the role that they see for us in, in their lives. And, and also empowering communities, empowering states, empowering service providers to be uh, more effective and more efficient for, for them. Okay, very, very interesting. And, and what, is, what is your role within Save the Children? So I am um, proudly one of the uh, Children on the Move uh, regional advisor and um, I, uh, I cover Western Central Africa. Um, and it's a big region. Yes. Uh, in a nutshell, um, I support country offices um, to achieve uh, their ambition for, for children on the move. Uh, I support them technically, I advise them, um, but also I feed into um, external fora, regional uh, working groups and uh, roundtables. And I also make sure that the Western Central Africa perspective and you know challenges for children on the move are heard within our movement. Okay, that sounds like a big role with a lot of a lot of moving parts, and we're going to dig into all of that. And just quickly, I mean, whenever I visit Save the Children offices or hear about Save the Children projects, I'm never totally sure which part of Save the Children is doing it. So are you, are you Save the Children Spain, Save the Children UK, Save the Children Senegal? I, I'm still not totally sure how it works. I also understand, I think they were uniting in some way at some yes. point as well. Yes, um, so it was, it has been a, it has been a process uh, that started, I would say, uh, um, maybe, maybe 15 to 20 year, uh, years ago, but then, um, we sort of merged in 2012. The members that are Save the Children UK and uh, Save the Children US and Save the Children Spain, as you said, um, decided to create Save the Children International, that is a little bit the operational branch of, of Save the Children that have country offices and regional office and is in charge to operationalize um, the ambitions of, of Save the Children. And so I uh, work for Save the Children International at the regional office. Um, of course, with the help and support of many members that have prioritized uh, child migration um, in the region and globally. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, now let's set the context a little bit for this episode. So for those who are not so familiar with, with the region, paint us a picture of the mixed migration dynamics in Western Central Africa. So the very first thing that um, 
I would like to say for those that um, do not know Western Central Africa uh, very well is that within comparison um, to um, other regions in the world, migration and human mobility has been a huge component of everyday lives of so many people in Western Central Africa, including children and, and, and young people. It has been, you know, for centuries, a uh, coping strategy, um, survival strategy, um, through which they would, you know, get job, get access to resources, um, having, you know, uh, trading uh, um, and other, you know, economic opportunities and so on and so forth. So we can say that the first and the, mon and the most ancient um, uh, dynamic is the one uh, that is sort of horizontal from the center of, of Africa, the center of, of the region goes towards um, the, uh, the coast. Um, and there is this exchange of manpower from um, the most arid and internal parts of, of Western Central Africa, the Sahel, and the resources and the goods um, and the trading opportunities uh, towards the coast. So this is the first, this is the first dynamic. And then the second dynamic that was pretty much developed uh, during a colonial era and it evolves around uh, de development of um, uh, the railing system in, uh, in Western Central Africa is the movement from uh, rural to urban um, and especially towards the big uh, urban centers like Lagos, like Abidjan, like Dakar, but really um, towards all the major um, capitals and, and major cities in, in Western Central Africa. The, the third one is, and maybe the most uh, common, um, commonly known from uh, Europe and, and the North, um, is the one that from West Africa to go towards the North. Um, and interestingly enough, 75% um, of, of uh, West African migration is internal. So people do not move to, uh, to Western Central Africa and another big chunk that um, decide to leave uh, the region um, still stick in, in Europe, in, sorry, in Africa. They do not go to Europe, they do not cross the Mediterranean. Um, they, go to, um, they go to North Africa, they used to go a lot to Libya uh, before the fall of the Gaddafi regime, but also Morocco, uh, Mauritania, Tunisia, and so on and so forth. Now we are seeing that there are new trends and developments that have uh, developed in, in the last, uh, in the last um, months and years. Um, one is uh, we are seeing people and, and also children from unusual um, places of origin that arrive in, in Western Central Africa. We are finding Somali children, we are finding Yemeni children um, in Western Central Africa. These are usually uh, people that were smuggled uh, and in some cases were trafficked. They were convinced to go to Europe or to other destination and they found themselves in, in West Africa. 
we are also seeing um, a um, an increase of of mobility uh, within uh, the displaced and refugee communities, um, and this is also very often linked to to trafficking uh, movements, but not necessarily. So people that are um, are displaced, that are refugee, are now more likely than in the past to then continue uh, the journey after their own their own will. Uh, and we are seeing this, for example, um, if we analyze um, the uh, origin of, of Nigerian girls that are now in Italy and they are now in Spain, uh, we are seeing that there are many more that come from uh, zones of, of conflict uh, and they are from communities that are, that are displaced. Uh, we are seeing also this a lot in, you know, um, in the Liptako Gorma uh region that um is is a region that is now very much troubled um by by the central sahel conflict and it's the triangle between burkina faso niger and 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 mali and then another trend that uh, we are seeing is uh an increase of of moment of movement of of girls uh usually girls used to move um to, uh, to do domestic work. Uh, and now we are seeing more girls that um, are widening uh, their, um, you know, um, research and, um, and offer, which is an interesting dynamic to see. Okay, well, that's, well, first of all, I think, I think you very well summarized some of the dynamics, the migration dynamics in Western Central Africa. And I'm, I'm particularly glad that you described and also emphasized the, the fact that a lot of the migration of the region stays within the region. I think especially living here in Europe, you can get the impression, the, the perception or the misperception that West Africans, Central Africans are, are all trying to come to Europe when for as long as we can remember, as long as time has been, it seems, migrants tend to stay within the region or migrate to other regions of Africa. So I think that was great to underline. Very interesting point about, about the Yemeni victims of trafficking. I was not aware of that trend, so that's, that's interesting to hear about. And I'd like to hear more about that later. Uh, I wanted to take a step back though and look at how child migration or children on the move fits into that overall picture. You mentioned a few of these different trends. So there are girls who are, who are trafficked, there are movements within refugee displaced populations. But I was wondering whether, I think a lot of people might be wondering in general, you know, why, why are children moving? Yes. You know, sometimes it's, it's clear that when there's a situation of trafficking in children, then uh, it's, it's forced and people are being taken or people are being deceived into, into moving and then exploited. But I'm just wondering if you could give us a bit of an, an overview of the different children on the move issues that you're coming across in the region. I would say that 90% of, um, of children that move out of their own will, uh, they are doing so because of economic factors. 
this is something that is changing right now. We have talked about insecurity. We have talked about conflict. Um, there is an interesting uh, research um, that came out a couple of years ago from um, OECD that said that one, uh, um, one other, uh, another key factor of people and, and youth moving is uh, related to the distrust of the system. So children and youth and people who did not have any um, uh, trust in, you know, um, the democratic process, in the police, um, in, you know, whatever local authority that were more likely to, to move. And it, I think it makes sense. Uh, but this is also something that um, might not uh, be uh, very well um, reflected um, in many um, in many conversations that I'm coming across. Um, but then there is also, as we said, a very um, cultural reason. Uh, so we have um, a couple of years ago we have published with MMC this study that's called uh, uh, Young and on the Move, West Africa. It's part of a series. Um, very, just a side note, very interesting study that, and, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Thanks. Um, and we had, we had this, this child that during consultation told us, you know, um, if I do not go on migration, I will not, I will never get a girlfriend because this is how you become a man. This is how you become experienced. And there is a Mayan proverb that says that um, there are three schools in life. Um, one, is, um, one is the family, uh, the other is, is the mosque, and the third one is, is migration. This is how you learn um, and you evolve and you, know, you, you, become, you become an adult. So there is also very um, distinct cultural uh, um, component of, of in, into migration, um, especially in adolescents and, and young people that does not have, it, it cannot be neglected uh, when we talk about uh, Western Central Africa migration. Um, there is um, uh, also um, um, historical um, historical uh, view of migration um, within uh, Western Central Africa communities and, and families where um, they, they would say so it's the achievement migration would mean uh, achieving something about your life but this is I have to say uh, is kind of um, kind of changing right now because, you know, uh, so many families had lost uh, their child uh, or someone that they know in the desert or in, you know, uh, out in the sea while attempting to migrate. And also we are, you know, um, having many, many people returning into, uh, into Africa uh, and especially uh, West Africa. Um, and this is, this is something that is changing. I would not say that there is this strong push from families um, as it was 
uh, as it was in um, in the past. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, um, and, and then there are so many other uh, so many other things that you know we see having an impact, but we do not know. Uh, to what extent uh, we are seeing, you know, movies and medias and social medias and what is the role of the diaspora. It's, it's a very uh, interesting and changing dynamic, I would say. And fascinating insights, Amanda. I think, I think the cultural point is also very valid and definitely squares with my own experiences in West Africa. I recall one study I was doing in Senegal, where I spent some time with the Soninke people in the east of the country. And it was exactly as you described, you know, there are proverbs which say you essentially have to, to leave to become, to become an adult. I mean, I think that's ingrained in a lot, of, a lot of cultures that there's this rite of passage where in order to become an adult or by migrating, you can, you can become a man. Usually it's, I, I feel it's quite male centric as well. And it's not completely different from the way we look at migration in Europe and in other countries as well, right? When, especially in the UK, it's considered a bit of a rite of passage to, to do a gap year before university. You know, we may not think of it as migration, but in a sense, we are taking that big step, that big trip as a way to demonstrate our adulthood and as a way to test ourselves, challenge ourselves and to mature. So I think there are some interesting, uh, there's some interesting cultural aspects to this. And I was wondering as well, if the routes that children take, do they closely follow the patterns that you described for the region as a whole? So are children on the move in, in the region, generally moving from the hinterland to the coastal areas? I mean, of course, there are many movements from, from east, west, east to west, west to east, north to south, and so on. But I was wondering if, generally speaking, those trends, those movements followed the overall general migration trends of the region. They do, um, although, of course, children tend to um, stay closer to home and to undertake a sort of um, circular migration where they would go out for, you know, uh, some seasonal work or activity, uh, maybe during summer or maybe during the harvest season, um, but then would tend to go back home um, until the next time. Um, we are seeing an important drop of uh, child and youth migration uh, flows um, towards, uh, towards, you know, the north of, of Africa, and especially Libya, especially um, Europe. Uh, there is some, but it wasn't, is not as much as a few years ago. Um, and this, I think, speaks loudly about the fact that, you know, um, children and, and families are aware of the risks um, that one may uh, encounter um, towards, you know, in, in certain routes and, you know, transiting through uh, certain places. 
and, and we should not underestimate that. Um, in any case, I would say that um, in general, uh, children that are on the move are, uh, of course, more vulnerable um, than, than adults for, for a number of reasons. Um, the two that I would like to, um, to discuss here is um, related to uh, the education level. Uh, and how a child that barely cannot read and write is much more vulnerable than, you know, someone that can. Um, the dependency, the fact that they cannot uh, access to, uh, to decent work and regular jobs. Um, they uh, hardly can provide for themselves. But also the fact that um, is not, uh, it, you know, it's not legal for, for, for a child uh, to, uh, to move between countries in Western Central Africa. Um, and so uh, many of these um, international, international movements are irregular, mm. which makes them more vulnerable, uh, uh, less visible, um, and, you know, more hesitant to, uh, to reach out for help. You've definitely preempted my next question, which was about the risk and the vulnerabilities. The fact that you did that really underlines the importance of it. I have a couple of follow-up questions, of course, but just to also help the listeners to understand a bit the context, I've got a few statistics to, to, uh, that, that I've pulled out of the internet, mainly from UNICEF. So over 7 million children are on the move in Western Central Africa each year, which I think is quite a staggering figure. I, I'm not quite sure what the entire population of Western Central Africa is. I think West Africa alone is about 400 million, depending on the, the, the statistics. But in any case, 7 million children on the move is a very large number, even for a, for a large region like Western Central Africa. And Amanda, you touched very pertinently on aspects relating to uh, education. I know this is more of relevance to refugees specifically and not of migrants, children on the move. But I know refugee children, according to UNICEF, are five times more likely to be out of school yes. than other children. And only 50% of refugee children are enrolled in primary school and less than 25% of refugee adolescents are enrolled in secondary school. Does that figure tend to correspond to children on the move more broadly? Small disclaimer here is that we're generalizing a little bit about a very large and diverse region, but I was wondering if you had any insights. I think, I think it does, um, both from you know, uh, what we see in, in the fields, but I also would like to stress the fact that apart from the cultural uh, reasons um, for a, you know, for a child to be a, uh, to go on migration. Um, we need to, we need to, you know, uh, to remind ourselves that children need structure. They need, um, they need that kind of structure that is provided by by their family. Um, they need, you know. Um, very, very um, solid uh, references in, in their lives that need affection. And I think that beside, you know, their dreams and the hopes and 
everything that all the things that they might lack in their community of origin um, being uh, uprooted from 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 their family is uh, very uh, painful uh, you know uh, event for for everyone and and especially children um, and and so I think that you really need to be um, in a unbalanced situation if you decide to, to do that. And even more if, as you uh, recalled at the beginning, you know, you're trafficked and, you know, you are alluded into it, you're smuggled. Um, and so I think that, um, yes, the more, uh, you know, uh, you miss, uh, the more likely uh, you will, uh, you will, um, uh, you will leave. Um, there is also um, a, an interesting phenomenon uh, that is um, that is that is still um, to be um, investigated. That is kinship care here in in Western Central Africa. What is called the, the confiage, where mm, yeah. a family uh, give their children to. Uh, trusted friends and um, family is members. An English, is there an English language word for that? I've, I've only ever really heard um, but it, in, uh, in, well, in Save the Children, we call it kinship care. Kinship care, okay. And this is also how families try to provide for, for the kids, families that are struggling economically or might not have, you know, um, a school nearby and they fear for the safety of their kids. They give they give uh, those kids um, um, to to other families that usually that they trust, um, and this situation might degenerate uh, into a child labor and also you know forms of of slavery for for the child and also violence and and deprivation that can also provide. Um, you know, safety and security, just like, you know, during the Second World War, um, families in, in, in big urban centers would send their children into the countrysides to, to uh, you know, uh, to be safe from, from the bombings. Yeah. So um, it depends on, 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 on many factors. And um, we have conducted a, a study in Western Central Africa um, to better understand what are the elements and what are the factors that may concur to a safe uh, or a safer uh, kinship care. So, for example, when the child uh, is given to uh, the grandparents, um, is safer than if it's, um, you know, uh, given to, uh, to someone that is not uh, related to, um, to the child or to the family. Mm. Things like that. Very interesting. And I think the kinship care issue is quite challenging especially in terms of trying to articulate that as an issue itself i think from my experience working on trafficking in west africa it's always a difficulty to explain why that can be a bad thing when it leads to exploitation or how it can be linked to the child's exploitation later on and i think that leads oh one question i had was i understand that you you also said that a lot of children, when they move, they move shorter distances. But when they do cross borders, I mean, how do they actually cross borders? 
It's a complex question. So they can, they can cross. We've seen children crossing at regular borders, either providing fake documents, um, either by buying. There are these adults that have fake documents and they uh, present themselves as, you know, the tutor of the caregiver of, of the child. And uh, they, they, you know, um, out of forms of, of compensation and they help the child uh, cross. And then you have, uh, for example, private transportation, buses and, and motors that cross to the smuggling between uh, one side of the border to, uh, to the other. But in Western Central Africa, this is not, um, a smuggler does very rarely consider itself as someone that is doing something bad or something that might put children's life at risk. It is just one job, like, like another, like, you know, being a um, taxi man or something like that. So it's, it takes a while. And we also um, have worked with association of transportation companies that in order for them to recognize the risk that they may enhance while smuggling um, children from, from one border to the other. Okay, okay, very interesting. And briefly as well, presumably these children are exposed to risks of exploitation along the way as well. So I was wondering if you could describe a few of some of the common cases that uh, perhaps save the children or, or other organizations or common cases that, that come up in the region of exploitation? Um, yes, so the most common, uh, the most common cases are, uh, are um, yes, exploitation, um, sexual and gender-based violence is uh, for, for girls and for boys is uh, a, paramount, a paramount concern, but we will also see uh, children in, you know, uh, slavery-like conditions because they need to, um, they need to survive. They need to to find uh, coping mechanisms to uh, to survive, and they also feel the pressure to uh, send home uh, a little bit of of money. Um, and so um, they have uh, very often contracted debt. Uh, in order to uh, to start the journey, and they have to pay back. So there are um, there are a lot of a lot of concerns in urban and in rural areas. Although um, the forms might be different, so in um, you, uh, rural areas you may find uh, people in uh, you know in children in agricultural work. Uh, harvesting in, in mines, uh, especially gold mines, and then in urban areas you would find children in, in, in homes doing uh, domestic work, um, in marketplaces selling, you know, whatever they can, um, in bars, um, and, and things like that, but the risks and the vulnerabilities are the same, whatever the form um, it is and yeah. the setting. Yeah, thank you. And, and also just to add a, a statistic in there, and this also comes from UNICEF, and I know this isn't a lot of children on the move issues 
trends and, and movements take place within the region, perhaps within the country especially. The statistic I have at hand is that an adolescent boy from sub-Saharan Africa with secondary education and traveling in a group along the central Mediterranean route, so that's the migration route that goes towards uh, Libya and then onto, onto Europe, faces a 73% risk of being exploited while the risk for a boy from another region drops to 38%. So those are some really stark figures. And we can all conceptually understand how, if you remove that protective framework of the family, how children are so vulnerable to being exploited, especially when they're, they're on the move. And detention is also on the rise. Detention. Yes, okay. detention is, uh, is on, for, you know, for, uh, for migrants. But also displaced children is, is on the rise in, in the region. Uh, 11 years ago when I arrived, it was a non-issue. And now we are seeing, you know, so many cases, in, especially in the Sahel. And why do you think that is? Uh, for, for a number of region, uh, reasons, one is that um, I think uh, the militarization of, of the Sahel uh, has played a very um, has played a, a role, and also um, the fact that um, you know um, I think no, I cannot say that you're gonna cut it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. I cannot say more than. I I, I feel I, that I I have an idea. Militarization of the Sahel is is yeah. is a huge factor. Yeah, but yeah. not bribes to the police. This is not, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, so let's move on a little bit to the topic du jour, COVID-19. And I wanted to ask, you know, what has the impact of COVID-19 been, first of all, on migration generally in Western Central Africa, and then specifically on children on the move? As you, as you probably know, uh, COVID-19 uh, has seen uh, a very slow um, increase in, in Western Central Africa. And we have not witnessed, you know, um, um, all the tragic losses that we have seen in other parts of, of the world. Uh, however, um, the measures put in place by states and governments uh, to uh, slow down um, the uh, transmission of, of the virus um, is, you know, has taken a toll um, on the lives of many vulnerable, uh, vulnerable people, uh, including uh, migrant and, and child migrants uh, population. So in a couple of, of um, studies that um, have been conducted by uh, the Mixed Migration Center, um, we know that 97% um, of people on the move in West Africa have reported an impact um, on their lives and or on their journeys um, because of COVID-19. 86% um, said that they needed extra help, uh, but only 21% said that they actually got their help and by help they needed you know very very basic basic stuff you know food shelter um access to um 
access to services. Um, and up to 60% of, um, of migrant population in, in Western Central Africa has reported a loss of income from one month into uh, the um, uh, introduction of these uh, restrictive uh, measures like the closure of border and uh, you know, the restriction of, of movements. 50% um, of, of, of migrants, including regular migrants, have reported a difficulties of in crossing borders. We have seen a rise of, of smugglers along the, um, along the borders uh, in places where we were not seeing them before. Um, and also these trespassing of borders have become more, um, um, more expensive. Uh, we are seeing um, smugglers taking uh, more dangerous routes and we are also seeing uh, a raising of protection concerns, meaning that um, there are more protection incidents uh, during these smuggling um, dynamics. And this is also, uh, you know, uh, this is impacting uh, very much the lives of, of children. We are now conducting um, um, a couple of studies to understand what is, uh, what is going on on the uh, coastal countries and also in the Sahel. And I'll be able to share with you the results as soon as I have them. Fantastic. Thank you. We've talked about a lot of different issues during the course of this episode. Uh, it, was, it was interesting that we started talking about Save the Children's overall mission with respect to migration and how, in a sense, migration and displacement ha have always been themes in the founding of Save the Children. And then we also talked about the myriad issues and challenges facing children on the move and the vulnerabilities and risks that they face. I think that brings us on to a question that I have, which is what has Save the Children's response been? You know, how have you been uh, supporting children on the move? Um, so I think that it is a very complex dynamic that requires a multi-layered approach uh, by keeping in mind that we keep a very strong um, rights-based approach uh, to the issue of, of child migration. So the idea is that we are not going to um, dissuade or, you know, we are not going to tell someone what to do, but we really want um, a migration journey um, decision not to be taken out of desperation. Um, we want children to have options uh, and be have, have all the conditions to, to grow and, and strive in, in their communities if, if they want to. Uh, they want them to have uh, the right information um, about the risk, but also the opportunities about the journey. Um, we want families to be, to be involved in, in that decision. Um, and, but also we want to work with, with communities um, in order to um, um, avoid um, 
discrimination and uh, to talk about how they can play a role um, in you know making sure that children are safe uh, but also how you know migrants are you know a very positive part of you know communities in the world it's the 21st century and people are on the move all the time and uh, you know uh, migrants take bring with them a wealth of uh, knowledge and potential that cannot be neglected by um, by host communities. Um, we are also working, you know, here in Western Central Africa, we have lots of legal frameworks and laws um, that um, are, you know, provide a very solid uh, protective legal framework for, for children on the move. So we need to make sure that those are, that are implemented, they are, you know, budgeted for, uh, they are resourced for uh, with excellent um, human resources and uh, and expertise, and we really need to to make sure that you know um, all of these are in place and uh, uh, making sure that social workers and uh, you know police uh, are have access to uh, the best and the latest information and. Um, um, and training for to accomplish to accomplish this, and then we I think we also have a very important role within uh, the international community. We have you know 101 years of you know of history, um, and and you know and we are taking I think uh, responsibility for that. We are co-leading the child rights, um, the initiative for the child rights uh, in the global compact, for example, uh, along with terrorism, but we are, you know, making sure that this coalition of NGOs and, um, and, and you know, private foundations and UN agencies uh, lobby states um, in order to, uh, to make sure that the, the rights of, of children on the move are taken in consideration because, you know, they are important and they are relevant. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Amanda. I think you're doing a lot of great work and this is such an important issue. I think it's really great that you've got this comprehensive response to ensuring that children are informed, ensuring that the families play a role, ensuring that they're safe when they make the journey. And it's challenging work, but it's great that you're doing it. So I'd really love to talk to you more about this, but unfortunately we have to bring this to a close at some point. <laughs> so how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more about, about your work or say the children's work on children on the move? Yeah, sure. You, you know, uh, people can drop me a line anytime um, at my email, amanda.azali at savethechildren.org. Be, be happy to, to hear from you guys. Great. Well, thank you very much, Amanda. You've been a great guest. And it was really great having you on and talking about children on the move in Western Central Africa. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Migration and Diaspora podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can check out the podcast website at loxanharley.com forward slash podcast. There you can subscribe to the mailing list or get in touch if you want to be on the podcast. Be sure to follow the podcast via your favorite podcasting platform and leave a review if you can. Thanks again and see you next time.